0: It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny.
1: And hello there and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins Guys Guys radio. We're off to a new year, a new decade. all new. and I wish you all the very best and I thank you for supporting our show. We're headed towards our 400th broadcast. It's amazing. Guys, Guys Radio. We've got a great show for you today. I'll tell you really quickly about our guests, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit. But we've got two guests, two guys. They're both named Robert. One is Rob Fekens. He is the CEO of a organization called For All Humankind, and he makes documentary films and branded films about uh, various causes around the world that help humankind and he's an ex-ad guy. I know him from my career in advertising. I'm so proud of the wonderful work he's doing now. Rob Feakin, so he's going to join us first. And then we've got Robert Dillenschneider, and he's written a book called Decisions, 23 People and the Decisions They've Made that Have Shaped the World. And these are people from the past, from the present, who will be impacting us in the future. And it's all about that decision-making process. And you know, each and every day, we make decisions that create our world all day long from the moment you open your eyes to that first sip of coffee or whatever to when you put your head back on the pillow at the end of the day you've been making decisions all day long and if you come to the realization that you are the decider you make the decisions and it's your choice you are then creating your world instead of simply reacting to it so we've got two great guests Let's just start out a little bit about New Year's. I know New Year's is a, is a beginning for a lot of people, and you see everybody joins the gym, and memberships are up, and everybody's there, and it's crowded, or people give up drinking or whatever, and it's a, a time of optimism. But you, we are in the winter, and what happens over the next six weeks or so, a lot of folks run out of steam. So I'm here to encourage you and inspire you to make a resolution that you can keep Even if it's a small one, I'm not going to eat chocolate for the month of January. Whatever it is, make one, and if you can keep it going, keep it going. But get that accomplishment under your belt, and then you'll be able to make more. So the the resolutions don't have to begin on New Year's. They could begin the beginning of any day, any week, any month. Just do it and succeed and keep going. I am actually pretty decent at keeping my New Year's resolutions. I'm actually writing a book about a New Year's resolution that I made a couple of years ago where I had an aggregate of things I did, one new thing each week for the entire year, and it worked out fine. And uh, hopefully that'll be ready by about mid-year, but I'm excited about that. I'm excited about 2020. I think it's going to be a fantastic year for people who decide, hey, I am going to make the choices I am going to manage my life, I'm going to act, I'm not going to react, and we've got a great show for you, all about doing great stuff for people around the world through documentary filmmaking and storytelling, and also the book about making decisions called Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. So Guys Guys Radio, we've got a great show, let's get after it right now. I mentioned we've got a very special guest from the world of advertising. My world, and as I've done a few times on Guys Guys Radio, I've had the the honor of and privilege of bringing on uh, former colleagues of mine who were very successful in their new lives, their new careers. There's a lot of really sharp people in the advertising business, and everybody's always has a plan to do something else. You're a copywriter, you want to be a screenwriter. You're in production, you want to be a director. You're in digital, you end up being a musician, just all kinds of stuff. I was an account guy, and I wrote a novel. Now I'm your guy's guy, et cetera. So uh, one of my favorite people, uh, his name is Rob Feekins, and uh, he is a high-level powerhouse ad guy, but he had some similarities in his life's path as I had. So let me tell you a little bit about that. I was in advertising and marketing for many years, worked my way up to COO on the client side, CMO on the agency side, and finally president on the agency side. And uh, when I left that business, uh, about a year later, I had a, a health scare and I had to have two robotic surgeries and it kind of spurred a change for me. And I think I really found my life's purpose at that point. But everything that I had done in the past was important because it gave me the foundation to become the person i am now i'm the same person but without that i wouldn't be authentic in what i'm doing now rob had a similar situation where he was a senior level creative chairman president ceo of worldwide agency networks and he left the business and he also had a health scare about a year later and he embarked on a new career uh, of service, I would call it. He's got a business that's called For All Humankind. And I say business in quotes because it, uh, they do pro bono work. They do documentaries. It's a film company that also does branding work. Let me tell you a little bit about Rob. He spent his career as a, a copywriter, executive creative director, chief creative officer at some of the most respected ad agencies in America. He's creatively led and won awards on some of the most recognizable global brands in the world. Target, Citibank, P&G, BMW, Porsche, Four Seasons, Volvo, Hilton, Goldman Sachs. And that's just a few. So this is like an all-star team. He's really a non-traditional creative leader. He was a copywriter and then became a creative director and then a creative chairman. So he does it all. And he knows how to create work that emotionally connects with consumers and also becomes viral. He did the big Citibank campaign in New York when Citibike rather. When City Bikes came out, it was a really big deal, and people didn't know what's going, on, what to do with it. Like, what's going on? We're going to have all these bicycles everywhere. And now it's part of the city's life, and it's actually turned out, as Rob and others predicted, that would be a really good thing for New York City and for other major cities around the world. He's now taking his skills and applying it where it's needed most. Rob's helping brands activate cause marketing, helping nonprofits with, with issue raising instead of merely focusing on uh, fundraising. So now Rob is an award-winning filmmaker, he's a great storyteller, and he's skilled at creating viral films and mini-docs that drive engagement and emotionally connect followers to charities. And over the last two years, his humanitarian films received over 20 awards from different film festivals. So let me bring out my friend, my former colleague, and just a great guy, a guy's guy, to to Guy's Guy's Radio, Rob Feakins. Welcome, Rob. How are you? Thanks,
2: Bob. Really nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, When I, you know,
1: during the introduction, I mentioned the fact that we had some parallels in terms of what happened with uh, our careers. And I, on the show, have mentioned my kind of path many times, and I'm comfortable with my purpose now. And uh, it's going in the right direction, and I'm reaching more and more people who need to be reached. Tell us a little bit about your path, what happened, and how you ended up uh, doing the work you're doing now for all humankind.
2: Yeah, so I'm not going to tell you my life story, but I am going to jump back to my childhood for a second because my mom growing up, there were six kids, and my mom, uh, who you could describe as a very charitable person, made all of us volunteer four hours a week uh, during high school. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but it was New Jersey. It was the <laughs> late 70s. Um, there were a lot of parties. a lot of fun things to do at parties, and the last thing I wanted to do was be a junior corpsman in a hospital taking right. a lab specimen uh, somewhere uh, on a Friday night. But, um, you know, that stuff sticks with you, right? This, you know, the music your dad played in your house and all that stuff later comes back to you. Fast forward into my advertising career, uh, which, you know, I loved. I had a great career. Uh, I was very fortunate. Um, but towards the end, the stuff that really moved me was the cause work. You know, you mentioned City Bike. I loved working on that. You know, uh, brands know how important it is now to have cause work. In fact, there's a great study that shows if you have two dishwashing liquid detergents on a shelf and the consumer knows that the one on the right does cause work, that there's an 80% chance that they'll purchase the brand on the right. So brands now are know that they have to do cause work. I love doing City Bike. People said it couldn't be done uh, credit to Mayor uh, Bloomberg at the time, as well as Citib- Citibank for, for funding it. But it was said that you couldn't do it. Uh, we ended up doing it. And in the first year, became the most successful bike share program in the world. New Yorkers rode to, to the equivalent of going to the moon and back 10 times in the first year. That's the first year. So work like that, I worked for Ad Council. I was a creative review chair, Uh, On Ad Council, we did a lot of work for Drug Free America. We did the Adopt a Foster Child campaign that's still running. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. And I always said to my agency as I got higher up and had a little bit more control or input, if you will, you know, we're not just ad guys. We're citizens, and we owe it to the city that we're in, the country that we're in to do this kind of work. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, towards the end, that was the stuff that just really motivated me. And I'd been in the business thirty years. At my last company, I was uh, chief creative officer and president of a company that went from two hundred people to eight hundred. In eight years, we uh, quadrupled our revenue. Uh, we were highly successful, but you know, with that comes uh, physical to- toil, if you will. And 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 I was just a little. If I'm going to be really honest, I was more than just. Tired of advertising. I was was actually kind of burnt. And so I took a little time off. As you noted, I got sick and I started to deal with my cancer. And I don't want to say that my cancer changed me. It just confirmed that I wanted to be on a different path of life. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to take what I've learned and I'm going to help people probably need it most and don't have the money. To, to hire consultants, and I'm going to help uh, nonprofits, NGOs, charities, and what have you. That's a fantastic story. Um, let's, uh,
1: for a moment, let's just, uh, everybody uh, inter- interacts with advertising in some form or fashion. Sure. And the business has changed so dramatically over the last, let's say, 20 years, where Amazing. it was Amazing. more, it was idea-driven, and then you had long-term partnerships between brands, if you will, and agencies, and then everything changed where, it became very short term. You'd get a new CEO. They had three years yep. to implement their plan. They, have to get, uh, they had to get the results in that short term. So yep. a lot of times that meant that everybody had to pay the price after they left. And then you would get a chief marketing officer in, and usually what would happen is they'd get six months. They'd kind of milk the current agency for every idea they can get. In the meantime, they'd be looking for other agencies. Then they'd make the move, they'd fire the incumbent agency, unless you know they had really something great going for them, and then they'd move on. And then they had to place their bet on the next agency, and then within three years, they'd probably be replaced unless they came up with some type of idea or something that impacted the business. And it's almost reflected across our society. You could look at Major League Baseball, general manager comes in. He's got to place his bet on hiring a new manager. That new manager doesn't work out. Maybe he gets one more shot with another manager and that's it. And he's got to make some moves in terms of bringing in players and stuff. So everything's become very short term. And I think it's dramatically impacted the ad business. I don't think it'll ever go back because on top of that, another layer is it's data driven now. It used to be an idea business
2: and now it's a data quantitative business. What are your thoughts on all this, Rob? Yeah, I totally agree. Well, you know, to your point, you're seeing pressure on both sides of the ball, though. So not only are the uh, CEOs on the client side changing out, but the CEOs on the agency side are changing out. If you know, they're under Good tremendous. Point. Most of them are public companies now. My last company was public, and there's tremendous pressure on earnings and and what have you. In eight years, you know, as a president, I was supposed to partner with my CEO. I went through four CEOs in eight years. Um, so you're seeing change on both sides and what that destroys is relationships and trust. Mm -hmm. So you're really, cause you know, you can only do great work with great clients. And the more I realize it, uh, you know, ad guys are famous for our egos and (laughs) taking credit, but I've never done anything great without a great client. And Mm -hmm. when you're constantly rebuilding trust and meeting a new client and trying to prove yourself to that client. That relationship, I think, takes uh, you know. There's a burden on the work then, mm-hmm. and I think, and I think people aren't quite as free, carefree, or actually maybe taking as many chances as they would like to. Yeah. The other thing on,
1: then we can move on. But I notice there's one more layer on top of that is, in the last I'd say decade or so, now you have clients coming in saying, "This is the idea," and so they kind of force you into their idea. And yeah. then, if that idea works, they get credit. And if that idea doesn't work, you get the blame. And it's just become an incredibly tough business. And on the particularly on the management side, it's really hard for the ad agencies now to attract top talent to be able to manage and wrangle the clients because people are realizing, hey, what do I want to put up with this? I have to. I'm in, I'm stuck between creatives and clients, beating me up all the time, and it's it's just a thankless job. So. Uh, you know, we both moved on. So let's, let's get into, uh, for all humankind, what was your, uh, the first, uh, job that you got, if you will, first project that said, Mm -hmm. okay, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Tell us how you really got started with that, because I know you wanted to serve, you set up the company. How did you kind of put it into action?
2: Yeah. So I, you know, it was funny. I was, uh, I was recovering from my illness and uh, I was mentoring a kid who was a graphic designer. And I said to her, I, you know, as a graphic designer, you know, advertising and any communications now is about storytelling. And can you really connect with people and, and emotionally connect with people? And I said, you know, it sounds crazy, but maybe you should take a documentary class. So I opened up the SVA manual online and we looked at a documentary class that School of Visual Arts had. Uh, and I'm reading it and I go, hell, I'm going to take this class. And she never mm-hmm. took it. I took it. And yeah. I, was the old, I was the oldest guy in the class. I was older uh, than, the, than the instructor. And uh, there was a high school kid in this class uh, who never showed up, by the way. Um, and I loved it. We watched a lot of great documentaries. It was really a class about what makes a great documentary. You know, what is it? And, uh, and develop some points of view about that, particularly, you know, around the point of view, is there a point of tension? What is the thing? It can't just be a puff piece. What is the thing here that's happening? The story that's evolving, where's the tension point? So in that class, though, it was hands-on. You had to develop a five-minute film. I was uh, campaigning for Hillary Clinton at the time. It was 2016 in New Hampshire, and so was my wife. There was no bigger Hillary fan than my wife. And I said, I'm going to do a short documentary on my wife. And I go, we all know how it's going to end, but I'm going to do this documentary on my wife." campaigning for Hillary, and I shot it right through the election night, which obviously had a surprise ending. So, um, and the professor, you know, kept asking me, how did you feel walking up to a house with a camera and being that conspicuous? Were you comfortable? And I said, you know, I was really comfortable. I said, I totally feel fine about it. In fact, I'm loving it. And so then later on that year, I started to direct, and I was directing uh, a couple of PSAs. I was directing, actually, in this case, a PSA for triple negative breast cancer in Hackensack Hospital. I had two cameramen. I had a sound person. I even had hair and makeup. There were sandwiches. There was a producer. And it was about $30,000. And, you know, I've been on sets for a million bucks. So I'm thinking, God, how is this going to work at $30,000? And at lunchtime, the client came up to me and said, you know, Rob, the only reason we're spending this much is because it's our fundraiser. And right then and there, I realized, I was going to have to become a one-man band. I was going to have to direct, edit, produce, film, the whole thing. And so then I went and took a few film classes. Uh, I I did a ton of stuff online and I started to shoot. And my first film was for regional hospice, which is just a phenomenal facility in Danbury, Connecticut. This is the four seasons of hospice care. Um, And truth be told, I was a volunteer there. So after my cancer, you know, uh, 12 weeks out of can- uh, my last operation, I decided to volunteer at this hospice, um, and that's why I got the job. And I think early on you need people like that who are going to help you. And, uh, and I filmed this uh, film and it won quite a few awards and, uh, for their fundraiser. And I started there, and I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. I loved the power of, of meeting people. There, you know, I have to tell you something. When you film somebody and I interview you, Bob, and I've never met you, and we spend a couple of days together and I'm editing you and watching you all the times I edit, you develop a relationship or a connection. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of powerful. And the thing that one of the benefits of what I do now is the connections that I have with people, whether it's a homeless vet, uh, someone who's gone through hospice care, uh, a poacher in Tanzania who is now a shopkeeper. I mean, those relationships are, for me, as enjoyable and powerful as what I'm doing as a filmmaker. Got it. Okay, uh, this guy's guys radio. Your host,
1: Robert Manny. I'm here with filmmaker and CEO of For All Humankind, Rob Feekins. <clears throat> you mentioned something interesting about finding the tension point in documentaries. What I wanted to ask you was, what is the difference between storytelling and a and nonfiction? Versus fiction, Because in fiction, it's always about what does the main character want? Why can't he or she get it? And then there's an escalating series of challenges leading up to the climax. When you're in a documentary setting, how do you, how do you, I guess the tension point becomes um, that uh, what, what does the main character, quote unquote, want and why can't he or she get it? And that's maybe it's an organization or whatever. How did you kind of uh, weave those two together,
2: if you will? I, you know, it's so funny. We always think of documentaries and and fiction and nonfiction wildly different from fiction. And yet I, sh- I think they share the same thing. And that is there needs to be some kind of story arc. And there needs to be plot twists for a good documentary. And there needs to be some involvement of character, I think. I, I would think both categories share that. And uh, I'll give you a little example if I can. My daughter... One of my daughters also works in this field, um, and they were shooting the documentary on a certain – you know what? I'm going to put it this way, a certain famous uh, bicycle uh, champion, and it was going to be kind of a puff piece because there are plenty of documentaries that are simply kind of puff pieces where you learn about the life of this person. Mm -hmm. Well, in the middle of the documentary, they find out that he was going to be charged with doping, and then the documentary turned. And mm-hmm. that was the huge turn in the documentary, the tension point. It went on to become a very successful documentary. So I think that's the thing that they both share. The differences would be the amount of truth. And obviously, you know, a documentary is all about the truth. You know, sometimes you can't always get to it, but it should be, you know, 190% about the truth of someone's life. And so okay. that's the big difference. All right. Now, uh, in your business, if you all put quote unquote, you do 80% nonprofit and
1: trekking. Talk to us about uh, how the trekking fits in with everything else. And then I want to move on to the uh, poaching project. But let's start with how does trekking
2: uh, bake into the entire uh, brand, if you will. Yeah, Yeah, I think the short answer, uh, and at one point I had two different websites and two two different companies, one for the trekking adventure stuff and one for the documentaries. And I just decided to combine it with the thought that, you know, if – these adventure companies are getting people out into nature and closer to the world and seeing the effects of climate change, then that's part of the mission of helping to make the world a better place. And that's the one thing I think all my clients share. All my clients are trying to make, you know, you know, Bob, we were both in advertising. We both had great clients, but we had some clients who weren't so great either. All of my clients are amazing because even if I'm in an argument about a cut, I'll say to myself, this guy's trying to change the world. She's trying to change the world. Every single one of my clients are trying to change the world or getting people closer to to a better place in this world and that includes trekking. Um, And also it's just something that I love to do. I love nature. Where it kind of combines is this summer, I did a job in Tanzania where I was working for Grimetti Fund. And that is a a reserve 350,000 acres right next to the Serengeti. And, you know, people talk a lot about rhinos and elephants being poached for tusks and and horn and whatnot. But last year in Tanzania, in the Serengeti alone, 90,000 wildebeest were poached. And that's because people don't have the money or the livelihood to feed their family. And so they're literally going in there to to poach and feed their family. And this was a campaign that we did where we uh, were taking ex-poachers. They were given business training. And given a new life and we were we we're recording the, those stories for them and that was kind of the combination where i felt like the two kind of intersect mm-hmm. you know the the natural world and, and the story of, of this charity so uh that was a great you know and i would love to do some more work in climate change and and actually working with scientists that'd be that's the next community i want to kind of jump into is, de- is talking to scientists
1: now, what have you learned as a man, if you will, as a guy's guy, making this change, and now you have a successful uh, <laughs> company doing the new the new work, and you're on. You uh, it sounds like you're on to your life's purpose now. But of course, yeah. you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be where you are with, without that background in such a you know what can be kind of a. Nasty businesses, advertising, having all of that made yeah. you better at what you're doing now. But what has been the biggest surprise, aha, or learning that you've gotten from what you're doing now Yeah,
2: and the journey? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest enjoyment for me has been, you know, there's a great book, you know, for, I'm going to name two books. First book is Falling Upwards by Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And falling upwards is about the second half of life, and the second half of life being your more purposeful life. It's not an age uh, denomination of when you're going to f- fall upwards. It's it's when you're ready to find a more pur- purposeful life. And he would argue that you need that first half of life, you know, where you're that you know ad guy, um, if you will, in our case, because you've developed the confidence, you've had the success, to then be more humble, if you will, as you then go on to explore. You've had success. So it's okay for you to now enter in a new, f- new field, in a new, new way where you might have some failure, where it's a struggle again. But because you've had that success, you're going to have that confidence to keep going. But I think the thing that I've really enjoyed learning is uh, another book I've really loved is The Book of Joy by uh, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And if you read only one chapter of that book, read chapter four. Nothing beautiful happens without a little suffering. Mm -hmm. And in that book, the Dalai Lama describes his process of getting from perspective to generosity. And he describes being ill, having a gallbladder attack in India, being sick. And I'm reading this chapter and I'm going, that is exactly what I went through when I had cancer. So you get cancer, you're, oh, woe is me. It's all about me. Why did I get it? Why did I get it now? And then you walk in a Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale in New Haven and you see people far sicker than you, far worse shape. Uh, You then go through your surgeries and you're suddenly, so you have perspective, by the way. I'm not the only one. And by the way, I'm not even close to being what these people are like. Two, then you have gratitude because you go through these surgeries, you're so thankful for your surgery team. My wife, my God, I don't know what I would have done in that situation without my wife. And you just get enormous gratitude. And that then turns to compassion. What would I have done without my wife? How could I help someone else? Uh, And then you go to generosity. Uh, What can I actively do? What action can I take? So you go perspective, gratitude, compassion, generosity. And that coupling, you know, and 12 weeks later, I was a hospice volunteer and I'm not trying to, you know, pat myself on the back by any means. I've only been doing it three years or people have done it 20 years. Um, but that coupling of gratitude with compassion is the biggest lesson I've learned in my life. And they're almost inextricably linked. I've never had gratitude without trying to turn to compassion. And I just think this is what I think maybe the world needs the most. You know, there are often times in my life where I feel lucky. I feel lucky I had my wife and my two daughters. I feel lucky I had the job I had. But I mean, the kind of gratitude that I experience now and then the turning to compassion and trying to do action has been the most rewarding part of my life. Well stated,
1: and that's a true guys guy, Rob Feekin. So the name of his company is For All Humankind, documentary films, also branding films. Rob, uh, thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Please tell everybody where they can, particularly businesses and corporations, where they can find you and more information on For All Humankind.
2: Thanks, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, For All Humankind, simply go to forallhumankind.com. It's as simple as that. And you can see uh, my background, our work, projects, client recommendations, and what have you. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Rob Feekins. And then my Instagram handle is at rfeekins, F-E-A-K-I-N-S. But the website is forallhumankind.com. Fantastic. And Rob, you're a good friend and you're also a guy's guy. So thank you. All right, buddy. Thank
1: you. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's
0: Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold.
1: Okay, Guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. As I mentioned, I've got a very special topic for today and a very special guest. The topic is decisions. How often do we fret about decisions and have so much trouble making decisions and just become very passive and just uh, uncertain and going back and forth? Well, your life is really a series of decisions. You make decisions every day. It could be what you're going to eat I'm going to have this or I'm going to have that. And it's going to impact how the life you create for yourself with jobs. I'm going to take this job or that job, how you interact with your superior, your boss, whatever, how I'm going to do this or that. It's important. So I've asked an expert to come on the show. His name is Robert Dillenschneider, and he has hired more than 3000 successful professionals. He's advised thousands more. He's the founder of the Dillenschneider Group, a corporate strategic counseling and PR firm based in New York City, my former home. He's formerly the president and CEO of Hill & which is a big, big uh, uh, firm, and he's the author of the best-selling books, Power & Influence, A Briefing for Leaders, and also On Power. And we're going to talk about his new book today. I have it right in my hand here, and I've gone through it. It's called Decisions, and it's all about practical advice from 23 men and women who shaped the world in the past leading all the way up to now, and a lot of their input will help us all into the future. So
3: welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. Robert Dillenschneider, how are you? Robert, thank you very much for having me on the show. This show gets attention all over the country, if not around the world. It's a great privilege to uh, to be with you. Thank you. Well, uh,
1: the privilege is that we get to put information out there to help our listeners, to help them make their decisions. So let's get right into it. Um, what inspired you to write a book about decisions? I know you've worked with leaders all over the world in various businesses, uh, but this goes beyond that. This goes into historical figures, present day figures, et cetera. What was your inspiration to say, hey, we really need a book about making decisions, great decisions that were made, and the criteria for making those decisions?
3: Robert, every listener to your show, every day, every hour, every minute is making dozens of decisions, many of which affect his or her life. Most of those decisions are made without information, just on the run, and clearly if they make a bad decision, that's bad for them. So the idea was to give people the information they need, the sense they need, the direction they need to make good decisions. So I picked... Twenty-three people, people ranging from Harry Truman to Picasso, to make decisions and how they did it and uh, what they came up with and what their guidelines were, and I think it's worked out pretty well so far. It's terrific,
1: and uh, you've broken up the book into a couple of different parts. You've got war and peace, commerce and invention, science and breaking boundaries. How did how did you determine uh, how to how to kind of compartmentalize those those areas, those parts of the book, and then. Who to who to uh, profile, if you will, uh, in terms of highlighting in the book those historical figures? Because you have everybody from Harry Truman to Picasso to Marie Curie to Abraham Lincoln, Muhammad Ali, Mahatma Gandhi. You have got
3: a lot of different types in there. Joan of Arc. Robert, I looked for the people that I thought people would relate to. I knew they would relate to government people like Harry Truman, Abraham Lincoln. I knew they would relate to sports, Muhammad Ali. I knew they would relate to science, people like Madame Curie. I knew they would relate to art, people like Picasso. So that's how I came to those people. Now, are there more than 23 people that should be featured in this book? Of course there are. Steve Jobs is not in the book, for example. Uh, Bill Gates is not in the book. There are many people not in the book. Many artists are not in the book. But I had to stop somewhere. And my publisher said 23 is a good number. That's how. That's why we got there.
1: Well, maybe it'll be volume one because there's so much great information here. I really enjoyed it. And I'm wondering, was there any particular criteria that you used to choose these 23 people and maybe, you know, not include Bill Gates, but uh, include like Muhammad Ali. I know you said people relate to sports, but beyond that, did you have a, a little checklist that you went through for yourself?
3: I really didn't. I, I picked people I knew or had, had dealings with, such as Muhammad Ali, such as, Picasso, such as Harry Truman, I looked for really earthy things that those people did or uh, made happen so they could relate to the audience that would read the book. For example, Harry Truman, when he was the president, uh, left office and he was asked, what are you going to do now, President Truman? Truman said, I'm going to pack my bag, I'm going to go to Independence, Missouri, to the third floor, unpack it, and go back to my regular regular life. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing that, that helped me pick the people that are in the book. Muhammad Ali obviously uh, played a significant role uh, for black people in America, if not the world. Uh, he played a significant role in terms of not just uh, being a championship boxer, but in terms of how he looked at life, uh, how he looked at the military, and that's why Muhammad Ali is in there. So every every single person has something. You know, it's interesting going through the book. I uh...
1: I would loved the, you have a lot of bullet points in there that really tell uh, people about how these decisions were made and what was the lessons for each one of these individuals. And I think that's fantastic. And as I went through, I'm like, you know what? I don't necessarily, and I don't, I wonder if it, what was your intention. I don't necessarily agree with all of the decisions that were made by these individuals. And we can talk about Harry Truman later, because that's one I really want to dig into a little bit, but the their process And how you kind of uh, compartmentalized their process and aggregated it. I think that was brilliant. Talk to us a little bit about that.
3: The the key to the process was this. Number one, uh, make a conviction. In other words, how do you really feel about things? Number two, have the courage of your convictions. Stick with it. Uh, Don't let yourself uh, go away from your decision once somebody goes up against you. Number three, have some examples that relate to your decision that people can relate to and say, I can do that. Well, every single chapter in this book has those kind of examples. So I don't care where you are. If you're in uh, South Florida, if you're in San Diego, uh, where you're broadcasting from, if you're in New York City or South Bend, Indiana, there are going to be examples that people can relate to and they can say, I can do that
1: hmm I kind of, uh, you know, aggregated everything, and at the end, I said, "Okay, what what are the six takeaways I got in terms of making decisions?" And maybe this is, I'd like to run them by you because they're from your book, and I kind of picked them and chose them and shaped them. But uh, hopefully, our listeners can benefit from this because we're inundated with having to make decisions every day, and I think in modern the world we're so uh, heavily influenced and uh, saturated with media. And uh, input that we're doing a lot of reacting instead of uh, being making mindful decisions and instead of creating life, we're reacting to life. And I think that's a real issue for our culture. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But also, let me just uh, bullet point what I wrote down um, when you're going to make a decision. Um, one. Um, Know that you are the decider. And you said George Bush said it. I'm not sure which one, but whether you like George Bush or not, that's a very smart thing. We are the ones who are making the decisions. So we have to, one, we have to own it. We have to uh, consider our implications of our decisions. We have to seek the input of others and just not do things uh, on our own and risk being reckless. We have to consider a higher purpose Uh, and and the implications there and also don't second guess our decisions or ourselves and then when we make that decision take a pause before we do it and then when we make the decision don't second guess don't look back own it
3: every single one of those uh, Robert Fitz you've got to set your own agenda you've got to make sure those agenda points are ones that resonate for you and they're your decision you've got to find a way to take advice but don't take advice the point where it's not your decision any longer you have to think of the implications of the decision what does this mean for me what does it mean for my family what does it mean for my job my friends what does it mean and frankly with every decision you should always try to find a higher purpose it's not just this one small decision how does the higher purpose result from this that makes a big difference
1: Mm -hmm. that's true um so let's get into a couple of these individuals uh we have um, in the commerce area, I picked out Henry Ford because he was the first individual in a very powerful position to d- decide to uh, provide a living wage for his workers. Uh, talk to us about you know, your choice of Henry Ford and what his real contribution was in this area. And of course, the, you know, the movie Ford vs. Ferrari is out there. So tell us a little bit about Henry Ford, the man, and how he made this decision and why.
3: Well, Henry Ford is a remarkable individual. It was a remarkable individual, as are the people in the Ford Motor Company today. And of course, their latest uh, product is the Mustang. Henry Ford is a person that, um, on the one hand, gave blacks a chance to come up from the South and make a major decision for themselves to matriculate up from Mississippi and Alabama up to Detroit to, uh, frankly, give a great mushrooming to black people in America. Number two, Uh, Henry Ford probably is the one individual who's singularly most responsible for pushing back communism and socialism in America. And he did it by showing people that they could make a decent wage, they could improve themselves, they could be better if they worked at the Ford Motor Company. He did that. Henry Ford was a guy that obviously uh, got the assembly line working. He showed how one thing built upon another and you could create Not a third or fourth or fifth generation, but a seventh or eighth or ninth generation. Henry Ford created a product that was going to be renewed every year. And Henry Ford created something that was going to go not just throughout the United States, but around the world. So Henry Ford was a fantastic person. He was a person that made a huge difference in life, and he thought everything through
1: fantastic great answer okay it's guys guys radio your host robert Manning. i'm here with robert l dylan schneider and his we're talking about his book decisions practical advice from 23 men and women who shape the world i'm bringing you this uh show and robert because i want to help people out there uh make decisions easier because we're inundated with information nowadays we have so much tech we have we're just saturated with so much that it's hard to take a step back and say how do I make the right decisions uh, and how do I own it and how do I feel comfortable going forward that I don't have to second guess myself. So let's get into somebody else, a uh, completely different type of person. And this is one person has to de- deal with, uh, has to do with a spiritual uh, inspiration if you will which you've acknowledged in the book and I think it's very good because some people get a feeling they they go by their gut or they feel that they're being talked to through the divine consciousness if you will and that's Joan of Arc she was a young girl 17 and then as a 19 year old leading some of the armies in France against uh, England she was caught she was captured and uh, tried as a heretic And she stuck to her vows, basically, and she was burned at the stake. And then she became absolved of uh, her crimes and sainted in the 1920s. So a very important historical character. Talk to us about your choice of Joan of Arc and uh, why was she so important? Why is she still so important? And why is it so important to be open to the divine consciousness in helping you make your decisions?
3: Well, Joan of Arc was a really special person. And she is responsible for a major statement for women who are listening to your show. Joan of Arc was one of the first women to step forward and lead a significant movement uh, in the world, in France in this case. Uh, Joan of Arc had courage. Joan of Arc had conviction. Joan of Arc believed in what she was doing. Joan of Arc had the ability to bring people together and get behind her and make a decision. So that's what Joan of Arc did. Was Joan of Arc willing to sacrifice? You bet. You bet. They burned her at the stake. That was a pretty significant sacrifice. But Joan of Arc created and pushed ahead a form of religion and a form of thinking that uh, really marked the uh, the period that she lived in. Joan of Arc also is a woman, and I think that w- women readers of this book will relate to this, who made a statement for women. Uh, for many, many years, centuries, uh, women didn't really speak out. They are now like never before. But Joan of Arc spoke out, and she was one of the leaders of the whole effort.
1: In a similar vein, another historical figure, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, who uh, preached uh, nonviolent protest and was so effective with it, and it's still something that I think we need to consider today because we live in a very volatile, divisive times.
3: Talk to us about uh, Gandhi a little bit, Robert. Well, Gandhi, a major figure in terms of Uh, Indian life, but also of British life and of life around the country, around the world. Gandhi was a person who preached uh, nonviolence. Gandhi was a person who convinced those who listened to him and millions listened to him that there was a way to get something done without being pushy, without being nasty, without being overly aggressive, but just by doing the right thing. Gandhi was a guy who had conviction. There were many opportunities for Gandhi in his life to walk away from that conviction. He was offered money, he was offered opportunity, he was offered position, he turned it all down in order to do the right thing. And because of Gandhi, the Indian subcontinent today is one of the strongest in the world, maybe stronger than China, although it doesn't really talk about it that much. Mm -hmm. Gandhi was one of those special people in life that uh, used religion, but really used more than religion. He used the way people think about their lives and the fact that nonviolence is the future to uh, uh, to make something happen extraordinary extraordinary man got it
1: okay uh, guys guys radio your host Robert Manny our special guest is Robert Dillenschneider. Schneider when you were doing uh, writing this book and compiling this information on all these people whose decisions or situations stood out the most from you for you uh,
3: that's a great question the um, I think the person who really stood out the most was Harry Truman and uh, And the reason was Harry Truman made the decision alone. Millions of people uh, would be affected by it. He knew thousands of people were going to die by his decision. But he knew in making his decision, he would also save thousands, if not millions, of lives. That's a huge thing. Did Martin Luther make a decision that was going to have an impact on tens of thousands of people? Absolutely. He did. Did Picasso do the same? They all did the same thing, but Harry Truman was alone. Okay, um, let's talk about Truman a little bit
1: because, uh, and I, I don't mean to get in a debate with you, but I think his process, as well as everybody else's process, and the processes you aggregate in terms of making decisions, was spot on. However, just as an aside, I think Harry Truman made the worst decision, if not one of the worst, in the history of humanity, in that. His rationale was for dropping the bombs, even though it was well known that Japan was on its way to a su- uh, surrender in the near future. Um, he made the decision. He got the kind of thumbs up from his crew, you know, Churchill and people like that, to actually drop bombs on two separate days on two cities in Japan. In my personal opinion, that was more of a human experiment than anything else and totally unnecessary. And the difference between rooting out Japanese soldiers on the different islands and chasing them around and killing millions of innocent women and children is, is huge. And we can never go back on that. And I personally think it's a stain on uh, America's history and it could have been avoided. And yeah, there'd be a few more people would have died along the way, but it wouldn't have been millions of innocents like that. So I don't know, that's just my opinion. But I do respect Truman's, uh, process and how he got to the decision. I just, just think it was a really bad decision. And I'm wondering, as you crafted this book, if you, consider, if you agreed with all of the individuals in the book with their decisions or their process of decision making.
3: Well, I don't, didn't agree with, and I don't agree with all the people in the book. But uh, in the case of Harry Truman, I do agree with Truman because he did something that shocked the world. He took advice from people throughout government, very thoughtful advice about whether he should drop that bomb or not. Uh, The consequences of him dropping the two bombs were huge. Uh, But think of the number of people that were displaced because he dropped the bomb versus the number of people who were not displaced. Huge number. But I don't agree with a lot of the people in the book. I don't agree with a lot of the decisions Mohammed Ali made, for example. I don't agree with some of the things Martin Luther did. Gutenberg is in the book. I don't agree with some of the things Gutenberg did, but there are So every decision isn't lockdown decision where uh, that's it, and everybody says, okay, let's just clap hands and go forward. Uh, every decision is a, uh, is a significant one, and decisions uh, are ones that um, uh, you have to live with once they're made. That's kind of what it is. Got it.
1: Okay. Robert Dillon Schneider. The book is called Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. Uh, Guys, Guys Radio. It's been a pleasure. I think we've covered everything, Robert. So let's wrap it. Um, a Great book. Great advice. I, uh, I, I would tell my listeners, check this book out because in terms of the process of decision making, you're not going to find a better book. And then you determine on your own. You, you make the decisions, as George Bush said, well, the exact quote was, I am the decider. So you are the deciders, listeners, uh, but it's good to go through a process in terms of how you make your decisions. So thank you so much, Robert, for being on Guys Guys Radio. Great guest, great book. Thanks so much.
0: There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys, Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys, Guy Radio. Better men, better world.
1: Okay, we had two very compelling interviews with the two Roberts. There's three Roberts, actually. Your host, Robert Manny of Guys Guys Radio. We had Rob Fekens, the CEO of For All Humankind, the documentary film company, and also Robert L. Dillenschneider, the author of the book, Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 People Who Shape the World. So what did we learn today? Well, I think from uh, Robert Dillenschneider, we learned that, the importance of decisions and how we have to consider them, own them, make them each and every day. If you think about your day, you're making decisions from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you close them and put your head back on that pillow. So be mindful of the decisions you're making each and every day. And I think, I, as I stated, I agree with the template for decision-making that, Robert talked about, which is really, when you make a decision, seek input, consider the highest purpose, don't second guess your decisions, pause before you make the decisions, consider the implications, and then own it. And remember, you are the decider. And we agree on that, and I think his book does an excellent job of articulating that. However, we don't necessarily agree on every decision, nor will you and I agree on every decision we make, or you and your friends and family you know, we often disagree, but there is a process for successful decision making that makes it work for you. So at least you can own your decisions and say, you know what, I went through my process. This is what I decided. Let's move forward. And that's how you create your life. So good stuff there from Robert. I do you know I disagree on the Harry Truman decision of dropping two not one, but two atomic bombs on on two cities in Japan. I, I just don't think there's got to be better alternatives to that than that. I'm sorry, but that's my that's my interpretation of it. It's no, uh, it's not a negative comment about our military by any means. But I believe that the purpose is to protect people and keep civilians out of military situations. So that's me. So for Rob Fekins, for all humankind, I think we learned that there are a lot of stories out there. And that truth and nonfiction stories require some storytelling to get that emotional connection with viewers to be able to help them connect with what's going on in the world and realize that we are all creating our, a world that we live in together. Yeah, I think he's doing great work. So Rob Feakins. Okay, Guys, Guys Radio, we're here on KCAA Radio in Southern California every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 a.m. We're also, the podcast is available of every show, all 390 plus shows we've done on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox. So you can stream the show on KCAA or from my website, robertmanny.com. You can also read my 300-plus blog posts about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness through the lens of a guy's guide. The source material is my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, it's a story about two dudes in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. This story provides a kind of peek under the curtains into the world of modern men, our quirky, wacky world, and sometimes women overthink us. And uh, we're pretty simple dudes, to, to be frank with you. You don't have to overthink us, ladies. We are what we are. It's usually right there in front of you. If we're happy, we don't say too much. If we're not happy, we'll bring it up and... We don't overcomplicate things. So anyhow, the name of the novel is The Guy's Guys, Guy to Love. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever else they sell books. If you want to support the show, please, Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, if you want to catch me, Robert Manny, your host, I'm all over social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Again, my uh, my website is M-A-N-N-I.com, brand new website. We're going to be back next week with another guest. We're into 2020. I can't wait for this year. It's going to be fantastic. Let's get our arms around it and let's have a great time while we're doing it and make the world a better place. So, Robert Manny here saying I'll see you next week and as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.
2: It's Guys Guy Radio.